You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. My dear friends, welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. Last week we spoke about the Talmud in Brachot, Hey, Amad Aleph 5a, where the Talmud tells us that every single piece of Torah, Mishnah, Talmud, Halacha, all is taught to us by God at Mount Sinai. Moshe Kibbal Torah Messina. Moshe received the Torah, all of the Torah at Sinai, and then gave whatever he could. The Ramaral tells us, one of the great commentators on the Mishnah, says Moshe wasn't God. God was able to give over everything, but Moshe wasn't able to give over everything. So therefore it says, he passed whatever he could to Joshua. And Yeshua, right? in Joshua passed it on to the prophets, to the, to the, to the elders, and then to the men of the great assembly, et cetera, et cetera. But we got it all at Mount Sinai. Everything was given to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. We have to understand and we have to appreciate that when we're sitting here and learning Torah, this is the exact same Torah, this is the exact same Mishnah and Talmud that Moshe was teaching the Jewish people. Moshe was giving the arguments, Moshe was giving the discussion, Moshe was giving giving the opinions that would later be written in the Talmud. We always think things as black and white. If you're right, I'm wrong. If I'm right, you're wrong. That's not the way it works in the Talmud. You can both be right, but we we follow the ruling like one of them. And there's a whole system of how that works. It goes by seniority, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the overall, the overarching picture that we need to see is that the Torah, all of the Torah, all of the Mishnah, all of the Talmud was given to Moshe at Mount Sinai. And we saw this from the verse. The verse states over here, God says, I will give to you the tablets of stone, and the Torah, and the commandments, which I have written, to teach them. It's a very, very important thing here. Our sages tell us that all of the Torah, Everything that's written in the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, in the five books of Moses, in the 54 portions of the Torah, all of it can be learned from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is really the summary or the synopsis of everything you need to know in the Torah. The commentators say it's even more than that. All of the Ten Commandments is in the first commandment of Anochi Hashem Elokecha. And all of the first commandment is in the first letter. Aleph. That means if a person really understood the depth and the meaning of even one letter of the Torah, one letter, the letter Aleph, which means master, Aluf, you would understand the Ten Commandments. You would understand the first mitzvah. You would understand the Ten Commandments. You would understand the 613 commandments of the Torah. You would understand the 54 portions of the Torah, the five books of Moses, all the prophets, all the writings, all of the Mishnah, all of the Talmud. All of the halacha, everything, if you just understood one letter, one letter, says that when Moshe ascended up to the mountain, what happened? What did he see Hashem doing? He saw Hashem 
crowning the letters of the alphabet. I mean, come on. What is God doing? He's putting a crown on the alphabet. We know there are certain letters. Shatnes gets, Shin, Ayin, Tes, Nun, Zion, Gimel, and Sadik. These seven letters have crowns on top of them. Hashem was busy putting crowns on top of these letters. What's going on over here? So, of course, these are very deep Kabbalistic concepts. But the idea that we need to understand is that every single letter is a world unto its own. Letter. Which is why, sages tell us, the mere fact that we look at the Hebrew letters brings wisdom into our lives. Otiot machkimot. The letters themselves make you smart. Let alone the learning, the understanding, the toil. Just the letters themselves. So the Talmud here says unequivocally that all of it was given to Moshe at Mount Sinai. So let's see over here what the commentaries say. Since the Mishnah usually teaches the basic commandments without expounding upon them, the verse refers to it simply as mitzvah, commandment. God is telling us that in addition to the Chumash, to the Torah, he will also give us the Mishnah and that it too should be studied. So we know that everything, everything that was given to the Jewish people in the Mishnah has to be sourced. It must be sourced. For those of you watching online, I'm just going to share here a a diagram that we've had many times. And those of you who are listening on the podcast, I'm going to try to create an image for you in your mind. So imagine if you have a triangle where the point of the triangle is facing up. That's Mount Sinai, so to speak. And on top of Mount Sinai, what did we receive? We received the two tablets. We have the Ten Commandments. Five of the commandments were the laws between man and God, and five of the commandments were the laws between man and man. And they're equal. If you don't treat your fellow man properly, you're not treating God properly either. It's not just a phrase. It's a fact. If you don't treat God's creations properly, you're not treating God properly. That's the the underlying principle of the entire Torah. Love your fellow like yourself. Because if you really loved God's creation, it's an indication of your love for the Almighty. So that was given at Mount Sinai. Those are the principles. But over the next 40 years, Moshe was giving over the Torah to the Jewish people. Everything that he learned at Mount Sinai. Everything that God taught him, he was able to now give over to the Jewish people. And over the next years after Moshe, from Joshua on, it was the prophets, eight prophets, and the 11 writings. And those are the 24 books of Tanakh. Those are the 24 books of what we call the written law. And then you have the oral Torah. And what is the oral Torah? The oral Torah, like we explained, is the Mishnah, the Midrash and Kabbalah, of course, but the Mishnah and the Talmud. The Mishnah is written in code. It's one of the things that in this Talmud class we've invested a tremendous amount of energy to understand that you don't make up things. Rabbis don't make up laws. Rabbis have no authority to institute new laws without it being sourced in the Torah. Even washing our hands before we eat which is a rabbinic law, so to speak, is sourced 
because we see that Abraham and his servants, before they ate, they washed their hands. He made them wash their hands. We see in the temple before there was service, before they went to, to eat their, from the offerings, they had to wash their hands. So we see that the precedent is there. The sources the rabbis bring is all based on the Torah. So even if there is a rabbinic decree, it wasn't a decree before, it wasn't a law before then, the rabbis were able to institute it based on what is in the Torah. So you have the Mishnah and you have the Talmud. And the Mishnah is written in a form of code. It's like, you know what happens in the background of your computer? You're a computer programmer, right? It's a lot of code. And unless you have the program to untangle that code, you won't know what's going on. You'll turn on your computer. It's like something's not working. Yeah, maybe there's a little virus in that code. Someone put in a code that's not accurate. So then there's a virus and then it, it, it affects everything. Nothing in your computer works properly. The code of the Mishnah is so critically important because when the Talmud dissects the Mishnah, the Talmud explains the Mishnah, the Talmud goes into the very, very arduous process of verifying the source for everything written in the Mishnah. And the, every almost every single piece of Talmud after a Mishnah will say, where do you know this from? You're telling me something. What's your source? Don't just tell me words. I want the source. And unless you have the source, we're not going to accept it. The Jewish people don't just say things, don't just accept things because you said it. So you're a rabbi. Big deal. Show me one synagogue that says, oh, the rabbi said so. It has to be. No, people argue and people fight and people, because we're a people that are invested in truth. And therefore, just because you said something doesn't mean it's true. Prove it. Verify it. So we have over here the Mishnah. We have the Talmud. Now, what comes in the conclusion? And I, I brought this example a hundred times, but it's worthwhile for us to repeat it. The first Mishnah, the first Mishnah in all of the Mishnah begins the following way. Me'ematai korin et shema be'arvit. From what time do we begin reciting the Shema in the evening? So, Mark, let me ask you a question. Does that make sense to you, that question? From what time do we say Shema? There are so many assumptions being made in that question. It's like, so, Mark, when are we going skiing? Well, we're going skiing? I, I didn't know we're going skiing. We never talked about Like, What, what do you mean, from when do, do we do we recite Shema? Where do we know that we even recite Shema? What, what, there's such, there is this underlying assumption being made. So that's the way the Talmud will attack that Mishnah. And the Talmud would say, what are you talking about, Shema? Who even said you say the Shema? Who said that you recite the Shema? Ah, the Talmud now says, oh, let me explain. The verse says that you should read the Shema every morning and evening. Ah, now I know the source. So now let's go back to your question. From what time do we begin reciting Shema? So when is the beginning of evening is your question. Ah, and the Talmud goes in to explain it. Again, the Talmud needs to source everything. So the Rambam did an amazing, amazing work. The Rambam knew all of Torah. He knew all of Mishnah. And he knew all of Talmud. And then what he did was he gathered together all of the conclusions of each piece of Talmud, and he put it into a very, very organized 14 books of the Yad HaChazaka. And if you look over here, my dear friends, the 14 books of the Yad HaChazaka, 
And the Rambam very clearly outlines all of Jewish law. Now, this was very unpopular. There were many people who were very angry at the Rambam. Who, who are you to start codifying all of Jewish law? He went through all of the Talmud, based on all of the Mishnah, which is sourced in all of the Torah, and all of those conclusions of those discussions and those arguments, the Rambam put in an organized fashion. So you open up the Rambam, the Rambam will say, a person is obligated, this way he starts, right? A person is obligated to recite the Shema every morning and evening. Why? Because it says in the Torah, the conclusion of all of the Talmud in an organized fashion. Now, the reason why people were opposed to the Rambam, just so that your curiosity is cleared from this, is because, think of it like this. Till now, till the Rambam came, came along, you had to really study all of Torah, all of Mishnah, all of Talmud to know how to conduct your life as a proper Jew. The Rambam created a shortcut in their eyes. In their eyes, what you're doing is you're taking away the scholastic element, the Torah element, by just giving them the answers. What do you do? Look at the Rambam. They'll tell you what to do. What happened to the study? What happened to the toil? What happened to the labor of Learning through the Torah. That's gonna, people are just gonna skip and people are just gonna take the shortcut. And people didn't realize that the Rambam was ahead of his time and that people needed to know how to live their lives as well as to learn. So what happened was is that the Rambam very quickly became the hottest item. After it was burnt in public squares, people burnt, the rabbis burnt it because they said, this is crazy. We're going to take away all of the study. People are not going to learn Torah anymore because they just have the conclusion. Oh, this is what I do. But they're not going to know why. They're not going to have all the reasons. They're not going to have all the foundation of Torah and Mishnah and Talmud. Exactly, the sweat equity. And then the Rambam, who passed away in 1204, eventually, 300 years later, was codified in what's known as the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is the teaching of Rabbi Yosef Karo and Rabbi Moshe Iserlish, who together, the Ashkenaz and Svard, came together and put together what we know as the Shulchan Aruch. And the Shulchan Aruch is the modern-day code of Jewish law to what is applicable. It means the Rambam wrote what was also not applicable in our days. For example, he wrote about all the offerings. He wrote about what the service in the temple. You know, the Kohen's detailed tasks the offerings, detailed tasks, etc., etc. Every single detail the Rambam wrote about. The Shulchan Aruch says, let's deal with what's practical today. What's applicable today? And then we have, for example, the Mishnah Bura written by the Chavetz Chaim, who passed away in 1934, where he made it even more simpler for us to understand how to live life. But you know what the common thread of every single thing that's written in the Mishnah Bura in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Rambam, in the Jerusalem Talmud, in the Babylonian Talmud, in the Mishnah, in the Kabbalah, and in the Midrash. There's one common thread. Every single word needs to be sourced. And there's no such thing as someone writing something in a Jewish book without a Torah source for it. Bringing a source from some self-help book isn't legitimate source in the Torah. Bring a source from the Torah. I remember one time, many, many years ago, I was about 17 or 18 years old, 
and I came up with a Jewish thought on the parasha. I came up with an idea. I was very excited about it. And I came to my rabbi and I said to my rabbi, I said, you know, I have this idea and I shared with him my thought. And he says to me, what's your source? I looked at him. What do you mean, what's my source? I, me, I'm the source. And he brushed me away. Very important lesson. Find the source. If it's not in a source, don't give me your own ideas, your own thoughts. Torah has enough bandwidth to support a lot of your thoughts as well. Go find it. Go through the hard work finding the source for it. Don't come to me with ideas that are nice ideas perhaps, but unfounded. Judaism does not accept rabbis making up things. It must be sourced in the Torah. This is such a fundamental principle. Every single word you find in the Mishnah is sourced in the Torah. Every single word in the Talmud is sourced in the Mishnah and then in the Talmud, then in the Torah. And the same thing with halacha, the Rambam. The Rambam, you look at every single halacha, every single law written in the Rambam, in every single halacha, there is a source to the verse in the Torah that it's backed up with. Imagine if I was to give you a presentation on some theory, on some scientific uh, study, but I didn't bring you any research for it. Well, I'll tell you, you know, right now people are still suffering from something called long COVID. People have had COVID and never stopped having COVID. And it caused them a lot of respiratory issues. So imagine I came up with a theory and I start presenting, this is the authoritative view on long COVID. They're going to say, what are they going to say? Do you have anything to back it up? I'm like, I don't need to back it up. I'm a doctor. I can. <laughs> By the way, I am a doctor. Okay. I'm a, it's called, a rabbi is called a doctor of divinity. You knew that? Yeah. Doctor of divinity. Thank you very much. You want me to prescribe something? <laughs> so, but I'm not talking about that time. I'm talking about a medical doctor, a medical professional, someone who's a, who's done research, someone who's studied. Nobody would accept it. You go present talk about your theory without giving something which was peer-reviewed, something that was published in the Journal of Medicine, needs to be backed up. You can't just give ideas based on some theory that's not well-founded. People will laugh you out, out the room. You have to bring sources. This whole business of reporting being with anonymous sources is not a Jewish idea. You need to have sources for everything in Judaism. I think one of the most challenging parts of writing a book today in Jewish thought is finding all the sources for everything. It's interesting that my grandfather, this is something people may not know, but I have an uncle who is a very, very brilliant man and knows all of Talmud all of Mishnah, all of Torah, in what's known as needlepoint accuracy. You know what needlepoint accuracy is? Is that you can take your your finger and put it on top of the book at any point of the page and say, on page 40, at this line, what does it say? That's how accurate his knowledge of the Torah is. He can tell you exactly how many times it says Rabbi Akiva in Tractate Yoma. 
unbelievable. He knows every single. This story that we mentioned previously of Reb Chaim Kanievsky of blessed memory. It's almost his yard site. He was passed away right before Purim, and he also had that kind of grasp, knowledge, thorough understanding and memory of the Torah. And someone once asked him a question: Where is the source for this? And he goes through. He says, "It's not in the Torah, not in the prophets, not in the writings." Not in the Mishnah, not in the Talmud, Medrash. Oh, there might be a Medrash here and there, and he knew exactly where it was. He says that's where that's where it's located. So when my grandfather wrote his book, my uncle went over the book as a proofreader to give the sources. My grandfather would give quotes, but he wouldn't remember which exact Midrash it was written in or which exact Talmud it was written in. And by the way, there are many times I've seen, I've had a lot of experience teaching in many different congregations. And I've had sometimes even rabbis, sadly, mock and make little of, ah, it's Midrash, like it's fairy tales. The Midrash is not fairy tales. The Midrash, in order for it to be part of our library as a, as a people, to be part of our heritage, needs to have sources that source it in the Torah. There's background to it. There is a direct mesora, a direct transmission of where this information comes from. It's not just tales. It's not just stories. It must be sourced in order for it to be to have any validity whatsoever. And it's unfortunate that some people don't recognize and don't understand that Judaism is not just, you know, a bunch of statements from rabbis. An analogy that I would give many times about this is the manual for a car. You know, anybody who drives a car, the first car, you know, kids get when they're in college, you know, they get a simple car, they get a nice little Toyota Corolla, you know, a Honda Civic. And then, you know, they, they start their business and they become a Fortune 500 uh, CEO and they buy their first luxury car. And they go to BMW dealership, to a BMW dealership, and they get this really uh, beautiful new luxury car. They pull out of the parking lot of the dealership, you know, the ultimate driving experience, the BMW. When is the first time they're going to open up the manual in that glove compartment? The first time they'll open it is when they get to the gas station because they suddenly see one second. There's the unleaded, then there's the super unleaded, and then there's the super duper whooper. I'm a rich guy unleaded. And it's a dollar more. And he's like, what type of gas do I put in? He opens up the manual and the manual says, Mr. BMW tells him, put in the super duper rich guy unleaded. And he looks at the price. He's like, are you crazy, Mr. BMW? You're telling me to spend more gas in my car? It's my car. I earned the money that I spent on this car. You're not going to tell me what to put in my car. And what's Mr. BMW going to say? Go right ahead. Put in water for all I care. I don't care. It's your car. But as the manufacturer, I'm telling you what's best for this engine. As the person who put that engine into that car, if you want to experience the ultimate driving machine, Put in the octane that we tell you to put in. So let me so let me just ask you a question. Who's the manufacturer of this world? As the Ramchal teaches us, and all of our Torah teaches us, 
This world was created for pleasure. What's the ultimate pleasure machine? The Jewish person who has a Torah. The Torah was given to us by the Almighty. That's the manual. You open up the manual. It says, you know what? Keep kosher. You look at the price. You're like, what? I'm going to spend. And here's the amazing gift I'm telling you. Whole Foods is the greatest gift to kosher. Whole Foods is the greatest gift to kosher. I'll tell you why. You see, till now, people said the Yetzirah in the back of their like, that's ridiculous. I'm going to pay the rabbi tax. I'm going to pay the extra $5 a, a pound on kosher meat. Are you crazy? Comes Whole Foods and it's $26 for a box of cereal. And everyone is running to Whole Foods. Why? Because a doctor, without any research, by the way, if you read the New York Times, the New York Times had an article about organic food. They did hundreds of studies, not a single proven benefit. Not one. But a doctor said it might be better for your health. Everyone runs to Whole Foods to spend $26. But to spend an extra dollar or two or three on kosher? Ah, God doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) What does God know? But the doctor, he knows, right? God says, this put in the better fuel. It'll be a better experience for you. Because people think that food is physical sustenance. It's not true. Food is spiritual sustenance. The food you eat is your spiritual self. And the way in which, what, the way in which it was prepared is the food for your soul, our sages tell us. What comes when a person eats non-kosher, by the way? You know what happens? The Talmud says, foggy brain. You're not able to think spiritually. You're not able to connect spiritually. It's timtum alev. You get a, a, a fogginess in the mind, not being able to discern of holiness and spirituality. I wanted to share with you something that really hurts me and pains me as a Jew. So as many of you know, I mentioned, I mentioned this uh, off the record. I was interviewed by the Meaningful People podcast, and they made a bunch of these clips, a little little short clips, and they posted them on Instagram. And one of them is a quote where I'm talking about the devastating reality today of intermarriage, where intermarriage is destroying our nation, it's destroying our people, where many people today don't know that they're Jewish or don't know if they're Jewish. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult for students on campus where you can have a Mike Friedman who's not Jewish, you can have a Martinez who is Jewish, because this one's mother is Jewish, and this one, his is, is mother is not Jewish. He takes his father's name, and seemingly the Friedman is Jewish, but he's not. And seemingly the Martinez, one would think is not Jewish, but is Jewish. And it's becoming increasingly more complicated. If I can tell you sadly the amount of hate that is written on that post on Instagram, I'll tell you to what point. I don't mind if someone says, listen, I want to do what I want to do, and this is just the way it is. I have no problem if someone says that. It's not none of my business. It's their relationship with God. What bothers me and what saddens me is when a guy writes over there, what's the problem with intermarriage? Intermarriage is perfect. My wife is Christian. I'm Jewish. And we raise our child half Christian, half Jewish. What's the problem? 
it's that fogginess that people don't even see clearly anymore. What's the problem with it? You could talk even with the whole lifestyle discussion of people, who they marry and what, you know. That used to be a very cut and clear moral and value that people had. And with our culture, it's become more and more blurry, where people don't even know what's right and wrong, where people won't even talk about it. You know what? It's not our discussion because everyone here at the Torch Center is always welcome. We welcome everyone. Anyone who wants to learn Torah will never put anyone down. We'll never talk about any of the movements because that doesn't exist in our world. In our world, anyone who wants to learn about Judaism is the most holy person in the world. Anybody who wants to learn, anyone who wants to grow, anyone who, we say that there are two types of Jews. I know people think there's reform, conservative, orthodox, reconstructionist, you know, all of these other types. It's not true. I, I don't buy any of it. It's all nonsense. There are two types of Jews. There's a growing Jew and there's a stagnant Jew. And I can show you in every one of those, quote, labels, movements, people who are growing Jews. And I can show you in every single one of those movements, people who are stagnant Jews. And what we're trying to do as an organization is get every Jew to be a growing Jew. Every group to, to every Jew to be a loving Jew, a passionate Jew. And that's our goal. That's our mission. Not to be exclusive, to be inclusive of everyone. And we never ask, no one has ever been asked, are you Jewish? Who's your mom? Never. It's never, never, never happened here. And no one's ever been asked who they have their personal intimate relationship with. It's not our business. We're here to teach Torah. We're here to teach the Torah that God gifted us with, that manual to maximize pleasure in this world. So we had a little bit of an introduction from the other rabbi, so it ate up some of our time. Hopefully it was inspirational and uh, meaningful. Hashem should bless us all that we should have the clarity of mind. We should have the ability to connect to the Almighty in every area of life, whether it's our simple things like eating food, to recognize that the food is a gift from Hashem and infuse ourselves with that holiness and spirituality, or it be our study of Torah to realize and feel that connection. This week is the holiday of Purim. The holiday of Purim is one of the holiest days of the entire year. The power for prayer, the power for our prayers to be fulfilled on Purim, it says, Kol yad notinlo. A special gift of Purim is that we give charity to everyone. Anybody who puts the, stretches out their hand, we give them charity. I say, just tell us, that's not only the mitzvah that we do for others, that's what Hashem does for us. If we stick out our hand, we daven, we ask Hashem for anything in the world, notinlo. Hashem gives you from heaven. Whatever we ask for on Purim, it's a very powerful time for prayer. My dear friends, let's utilize the special power. This Shabbos is Shabbos Archer. We're going to take out two Torah scrolls from the Ark. We're going to read the entire portion of Tetzave with seven aliyahs. And then we have one more aliyah for Shabbos Parsha Zachar. We're going to read to remember Amalek. Amalek is anytime you have an inspiration and someone tries to remove that inspiration from you. That's Amalek. Amalek attacked the Jewish people as they were leaving Egypt. They left Egypt. They're so inspired. They're like, wow. Boom. They try to attack the Jews. Let's not lose our inspiration. Let's keep it going. Let's push forward. My dear friends, have a beautiful Shabbos. 
Have a magnificent, uplifting Purim. And I look forward to Talmud again next week. Shabbat Shalom.